Hello, everyone. Welcome to Does Not Count to Survive a Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Wilson, and I'm really looking forward to talking about the intricate, um, dynamic, exciting premiere of Survivor South Africa Season 8 Immunity Island. Um, it's interesting because I think I had one way I wanted to talk about this episode. I had an initial analysis that I was pretty confident in based on my first view. But when I rewatched it, I realized that I was, I think I was pretty off about one basic dynamic on one of the tribes. Uh, so this is going to be interesting. This is going to be interesting to talk about. So I want to start by talking um, I am going to do a little bit of recapping, and I know that can be a bit monotonous or whatever, but I think it's probably a little necessary. But I will just start by talking about the beginning, uh, because that's always a good way to start when you're starting with the beginning of a season. This might not be how every episode's going to be structured, because when you have mid-season episodes, it might be better to just jump right into the chops. But when you have a beginning, you might want to just start with the beginning. Um, so a few things happen that are pretty interesting during this initial um, marooning. I guess it's a marooning. It doesn't really feel like a marooning because it's more just a trek. Um, we don't even sort of see the shot of everyone on the boat or the, uh, you know, jeep or whatever. We just see them walking. And we get some observations during that initial walk. Uh, probably the most interesting ones to me were when Rania talks about, he makes this very weird metaphor about building a 20-year survivor cake, which I'm having a hard time visualizing what exactly he means by a 20-year survivor cake. But I get the like idea of being on Survivor being the cherry on top of the cake, but I, I, I don't really get what it means for, um, like, watching Survivor, I guess, is part of the cake because he's enjoying it. He's having his cake and he's eating it, too, maybe. Maybe there's, maybe there's metaphors within metaphors, huh? But um, anyway, yeah. Logging this Rainier cake metaphor for the future because I feel like there's some mileage that can be gotten out of this. Uh, but... Some other elements that were interesting were when... I actually thought this comment was very interesting when Tyson says he would rather die. He would literally rather die than be painted as a loser. And I thought be painted as a loser was an important wording there. He's not saying he'd rather lose. He'd rather die than lose. Um, but he doesn't want to be painted as a loser. He doesn't want to be painted as somebody who just, like, gave in. It's how I read that. So I'm really, I'm expecting some aggressive, that once push comes to shove, we're going to get some aggressive gameplay from Tyson. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that. And uh, when, when Nico's doing his questioning of some of these initial people, there's a couple of confessionals we get that are a little strange. Like when Ch Chappie's, this isn't even a confessional, but Chappie, Chappie's off the bat giving a lot of rich hatch energy, being like, I'm, I'm already the winner, so watch my journey. I've got the, you know, he, he as well as says he's got the million rand check written. Uh, he says he's already the winner and that we're going to be watching his journey. And 
I'm going to be honest, looking at a lot of the preseason stuff, I didn't think, I thought Chappies would be a lot more abrasive than he's so far been. He could end up being, he could end up really rapidly escalating in abrasiveness as it goes on. You know, sometimes that happens with character, with players and with characters and with the edit, like Felix in uh, Island of Secrets didn't really have a particularly abrasive edit until suddenly he had a really abrasive edit once he be once that became a problem. But uh, I thought Chappies would be like Martinez, like off the bat bugging people. But Chappies really seems to be. Uh, we'll talk more about Chappies, but I'm really I find him really interesting. But uh, one thing is def- there's a couple of rich hatch comparisons. One is of course saying that he's already won. The other is that he's running around naked. Like literally first thing we hear from him, first thing he says to everyone else as far as we know is if I had my way I'd be like that he'd be naked. He'd rather be naked. That if he had his way he'd be out here, he wouldn't have any clothes on, he'd just be naked. And later in the episode we see him like stark naked running into the ocean. So yeah, a lot, lot of information to process with Chappies. Uh, n- none of the things Chappies say are quite as strange off-putting as when uh, Marisha says she likes watching people cry in her fitness room. And I, I don't really know what she means, but I, I don't think she means it in like a sadistic way. I think she means like she likes watching when people put them, push themselves to the to the edge of extinction by dumb tish no but when like she likes watching people really push themselves and um i'm actually i'm really intrigued about how that's going to come off on survivor i feel like she could if if that's an attitude that comes through in the way she interacts with alliance members then it could or in tribe mates in general it could end up grating on some people but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting watching Marisha in this season. Uh, and then we have the random draw, which I'm very into. I'm very into the idea of not pre-dividing these tribes, not, like, having some kind of theme by which it's like, and here's the heroes, and here's the jokers or whatever, and here's the, I don't know, backgammon players. That I and not even even like sort of when you hear about sort of the behind the scenes of China, how like they definitely wanted to build tribes with Survivor China, how they wanted to build kind of tribes with these interesting dynamics on them about like like um oh I can't remember who it is who's Eric yeah with Eric and Jamie you kind of I heard some stuff about how there was definitely some interest based off of things they had said during the screening, the audition process, their screening process, everything else, that their, like the production thought it could end up having some interesting effects, putting these two people in the same tribe. Obviously, that ended up working out really well for those two in their personal lives. But, um, I, you know, it's very interesting. And I like the effects. I like seeing what happens when you consciously put together people who maybe are going to either really jive with each other in interesting ways or 
you know, in other cases, we really not jive with each other in interesting ways. But it's also cool to just have a really great cast that we've built and then to stick them together in an essentially random order and essentially random configurations. So, yeah, I, I think it's very cool. When they do the switchover, Paul makes this interesting comparison where he says he looks at Zamba, the other tribe, because he's on Vuna, and he looks at Zamba and he says it's, they look like the rugby team to him, and he feels like he's on the tennis team, and he wants to be on the rugby team. Um, I'll start by saying that that's a very, it's a very interesting comparison, in part because it doesn't suggest that one tribe is physical and the other isn't. It suggests different types of physicality, which I thought was very interesting. But um, I also think it's interesting in terms of... And what I would like to move into next is talking about Vuna and talking about the tribe dynamics we see on Vuna because they're the tribe that doesn't go to tribal council this episode. But um, it's very telling that Paul's first, and really the only thing we hear from Paul this entire episode, that Paul's first instinct is feeling like I'm on the wrong tribe. Uh, like there's, there's two people on Vuna who we really don't hear from a lot during this episode. We don't see them once during the montage of everyone building their alliances and getting together and doing all these things. And it's Santini, whose first couple of confessionals really focus on her being very different, not being very willing to like accommodate people who can't accept some of these things about her which is, I'm going to say this, very admirable about her as a person, but can cause problems potentially in Survivor if she doesn't pretty quickly jive with the right group. And we don't see any material about Paul getting into these alliances, and Paul's the one who immediately says that he feels like he's on the wrong tribe. Uh, There's an interesting parallel there with somebody on Zumba, but we'll get to that later. Uh, So I don't feel great about Paul and Santoni. Because if these different moving blocks, these different moving voting blocks and alliances on this Vuna tribe um, don't go after each other, then Santoni and Paul are pretty obvious targets. Probably Santoni more so because she also struggled in the challenges and it doesn't seem like Paul's struggling in the challenges very much at all and probably isn't going to struggle in the challenges very much. He's a very athletic... He seems to be a very athletic guy. But, um, you know, he wants to be on the rugby team. But um, I don't know. It could just have some interesting ramifications for his late game if he's not able to break in. But I do want to talk about these alliances because there are some really really intense uh, dynamics. Uh, Actually, before I do, and I know we already finished time about the intro and we started time about Paul and Santoni, but I just want to say, Nico Panaggio really reminds me of like a coach, like a Friday Night Lights type coach, like, uh, you know, like Hoosiers, where he really gives these... It's like... it's like this difference where when Jeff Probst, you, when you can tell that Jeff Probst is annoyed at a player, and you often can, it feels like he's angry at them. But with Nico, it feels like he's just disappointed. 
uh, the, it feels like you really let Nico down. Like he, it's, he's so much more intimidating to me than Jeff Popes is because he just feels like a coach. He feels like somebody who's like, wants you to get better, who like you watch him during the challenge and he's like, come on, Jason, that it's this absolute, um, trying to get the peak performance out of his players. He's having these conversations at tribal like, he, he's part of the conversation at Tribal. He's not even, like, a moderator. He's, like, part of the conversation. And he's never felt more coach-like than when he gives this, in the sense of Hoosiers, not in the sense of Benjamin. But <laughs> he's never felt more coach-like than when he gives that inspirational speech at the beginning where he's like, when it gets hard, remember this moment. And it, like it's just it's amazing. It's it's like I want to bottle this energy, because it's so like schmaltzy. It's and in a in the best possible way. It's like you know, be. I mean, Nico should be a, should play a coach in a movie because he's just good at it. Anyway, but talking about this tribe. Um. Talking about this tribe, they do start off on a bad foot by make by like when Matt, when um, Mike and Pinty say that they should build a temporary shelter, which just seems to me like it's a bad idea. Um, and obviously we get a lot of material of them, a little bit of material of them kind of struggling at camp with the ramifications of building a temporary shelter. And, I mean, we get a lot of pretty dysfunctional content around their shelter building, really. That we have Carla being like, as any of us... I mean, Carla has this absolutely amazing quote where she says, "The wild." I think it's like, the wild coast is pretty wild. And she also talks about how she hopes someone on the tribe is an architect because she doesn't know how to build a shelter. Which that whole time I was like, this tribe would have loved having Jason, uh, the structural engineer, uh, which obviously we're going to talk a lot about Jason. But there's some really, really cool dynamics on this tribe that I want to talk about. And I want to look in the context of different people. So I want to start by talking about the way, the order in which I have some of these people listed. I was taking notes during this um, alliance forming section, so I really want to look at where each person is standing in terms of these alliances. So let's start with Pinty, who's pretty straightforward, um, which fits the way she says she wants to play the game. Pinty says she wants to play an honest game. She thinks honesty is the best policy. She wants to build an alliance and stick to it. What amazed me was that the person, in some ways, is that the person that she immediately aligns with is Chappies. Because I totally would have thought that Chappies seems so... Um, but actually, I guess it makes sense. Because even though there's a certain sense in which Chappie seems very arrogant, he also seems very, like, self-assured. He knows what he's doing. He can handle himself in the wild. Um... In a way, like, and I've already compared Chappies to Rich before, um, because I think there's a lot about Chappies that reminds me of Rich. But in some ways, the Pinty Chappies relationship could end up, there's a little bit of that, like, Rudy and Rich thing, where it's like, it's a little unlikely. But they just seem to have, 
at the very least, and you know, who knows how this is going to continue because I got the feeling that Chappies was, had a, he, he definitely seems to think Pinty is trustworthy, but he might have a little bit more like leeway in his mind about when he can cut somebody. But there definitely seems to be that relationship involving the more arrogant guy and the guy who's the woman in this case, who's all about trust and all about honesty is the best part and all these things, um, making this unlikely bond because of this mutual respect and this mutual feeling that they can be trusted, that they're hard workers, that they're pulling their weight around camp. So uh, that's that can be a very, this is a very exciting twosome to me because I didn't ex- I wouldn't have ex- have predicted it based on these two people just um, what we saw about them in the preseason, you know, like some of that preseason interviews that you were hearing. Um, Chappies describes himself as wanting to play like a Tony or a Rapentele, and you have Pinty saying she wants to be a Ben Driebergen and uh, Tom Swartz. And that just feels so different to me. But, and even then, you look at Tom Swartz, maybe it's even that Tom and Werner thing, or that, on uh, time about Ben, it's that Chrissy and Ben, that you have these connections that seem unlikely but end up really paying dividends for both players. So definitely keeping an eye on those two. There's so, many, so much potential in this group. Speaking of Chappies, let's talk about Chappies, who has really a great episode. Um... I mean, multiple occasions, the entire tribe cheers for Chappies because of how amazing he is. Um, I love that we get a confessional of Chappies being like, it's really hard to make fire, that he's like trying to make fire and he's just getting smoke. And then he's selected for the fire making challenge and he's like, I'm going to do what I do best and win. And I have absolutely, going into this, I have absolutely zero confidence in Chappies' ability to pull this off. Why should I? And then, he, you know, why should I? He's proven, he has not shown himself able to make fire. Uh, and he also is displaying a really shocking amount of overconfidence, of seeming overconfidence. And then he goes out there and he completely nails it. Like, he does it perfectly. And he gets into this, he builds this fire, he forms this connection with Pinty, and he also talks about this twosome, this threesome, really, with Anesu, that they talk about this as an alliance people won't expect and so they could try to get to. Um, so very interesting. Really great episode to be a Chappies. Really good episode for, I mean, really good episode for Chappies, and Chappies and Pinty could be a really interesting duo going forward. However, tell me about that third part of this, unlikely alliance. I don't buy that Anesu is nearly as committed to this as they think she is. Obviously, we got a lot of Anesu content this episode. Um, starting, well, starting with her saying that Sean <laughs> isn't wearing a shirt, so he wants people to look at his glistening body. But um, after that, we get this really incredible, like, couldn't ask for something more stereotypically yoga teacher than... Um, Anesu saying that orange, like, oh gosh, she says that orange is the sign of creativity. That it's like she just talks about it in these like really flowing terms, and it's amazing. Like, I'm not against it. I have no problem with this, Anesu. 
But I, I mean, it's so, it's so interesting, so compelling. I'm a bit worried though for Nessu because she seems to be making alliances with everyone, which in one sense is good. In another sense, it's really bad. So we've got that threesome where she says she's in this alliance with Pinty and Chappies. And then she says she's in a threesome with Woida and Kyla. And then she says she's in a foursome with Kieran and Kyla and Mike. It just seems unsustainable. She will have to turn on one of these groups sooner rather than later. Maybe it can be delayed a little bit if they have a Santini vote or if they have a Paul vote. Um, maybe I don't know that how much she knows about how connected Tyson seems to be with some of these people. But, um, yeah, it doesn't seem... I don't. A lot of people seem to think Inessu is in a really solid position. I think Inessu is in a really dangerous position because I think Inessu has basically no direction to go but to stab someone in the back. Obviously, Rob Bentele was really able to pull off a lot of that in Island of Secrets, where he was able to kind of have an alliance with everyone and then backstab them, and then they still vote for him at the end. But he also was able to get into those positions. He didn't have to do that until later in the game, until the post, until the jury phase, until the post-merge that they were able to have those votes. He was able to go to several votes where it was voting out Leanne and voting out Paul and voting out Rocco, that he didn't really have to turn on these people he was working with for a lot of the game. So if, a, you know, if Inesu ha- has luck on her side, maybe this can work for her. Um, if she has luck and the skill and know-how to pull this off, then it can work for her. But I'm just not sure how how well this thing is going to work for Anessu. Um, but time out someone who I think maybe will be able to pull off some alliance building, I think Kieran puts himself in this great position. Uh, because Kieran doesn't form an alliance with everyone. But Kieran does form an alliance with enough people that he immediately... Um, so first of all, he apparently recognizes Anesu from university. I didn't get the impression that they knew each other at university from the way he was talking, because he was saying that he wasn't going to tell her that. He was going to let her, like, you know, he wasn't going to say that she was a doctor. He wasn't going to say all these kinds of things. Um, which, by the way, Anesu's life story is pretty fascinating. I advise everyone to look a little into it. But, um... So Kieran immediately kind of has this little connection with Inesu, which, like I said, may or may, may, or may not mean anything, because who knows how is going to go. But he also connects pretty quickly with Mike and Carla, and just to set that as- talk about those two for a second, Mike and Carla, for the most part, seem to be working in tandem as a pretty good duo, although Carla, we do hear that Carla's in a group with Inesu and Wada, which is... Not something we hear about Mike, so that is a difference there. But he forms this connection with uh, Mike and Carla, which Kieran, Mike, and Carla already feels like a great alliance to me. And then he also is able to connect with Tyson, talking about football. Uh, so playing his cards right, this is a tribe of ten. Um, Kieran, Carla, Mike, um, Tyson... 
Anesu, he's got half of the tribe unlikely to vote him out at the first vote or the first two votes or the first three votes. Who knows how he'll be able to get into the post-merge. But I think Kieran set himself up in a really good insulated position where, and especially this might be the most important part, he's kind of the, the nucleus, the glue, right? That he's the connection, seemingly, between Anesu and between Mike and Carla. Uh, again, Carla could, it could be that Carla's filling this role, and we'll see that more in the edit later, but right now it feels like it's Kieran. Um, he definitely seems to be the tie between Tyson and some of these other people. So Kieran is in a really strong position, I think. Um, I also think Wardad is in a fairly strong position. Wardad does know Anesu or, or has met Anesu that they know of each other because in the yoga world, which is very small, which is wild to me, that they both know each other. It makes me think so much of Leanne and um, Nicole. On the first, I mean, on the first episode of Island Secrets, when they both knew each other from the pageant world, except of course that didn't work out super well for those two because uh, Nicole's worried about Leanne being resentful, so they vote her out. In this case, it seems like Wardha and Anesu are much more aligned in their interests, and that they're, I think, smartly. I know usually you shouldn't lie about your job. This is a case, and definitely normally you wouldn't lie about being a yoga teacher. This is a case where I think it makes sense for one of the two to kind of not be quite as open about what they're doing. Because it really does put a target on their back if people know they know each other from pregame. Um, so that could be a very strong alliance. And then we see Warda forms this alliance with Tyson. She still says that um, Anesu is her number one. But uh, Wadda and Tyson, it feels very interesting to me. That feels like there's a lot of potential there. Um, Tyson's actually in a great spot in this tribe. Tyson at one point says how, in a pretty interesting confessional, where he talks about how he's pretty good at connecting. He has this really innate talent at connecting with people. Um, and I think we kind of see that in action. We see him really quickly connect with Wadda. We see him really quickly seem to connect with Kian that um, Tyson does a good job, especially as the youngest guy out there, putting himself in a pretty insulated social position within the tribe. So it's, again, just to kind of recap this tribe, Chappies and Pinty are a really strong duo. Ernesto and Wada are a really strong duo. Um, Carla and Mike seem to be a pretty strong duo. Kieran seems to be kind of at the center of a lot of different things. So does Anesu, although Anesu is maybe at the center of too many things. Tyson is tight, is pretty close to Wada and Kieran and is able to kind of stick himself into these different uh, positions within the tribe socially. And then Paul and Santoni seem to be on the outside. There's a lot of potential with this tribe. I really look forward to seeing them go to tribal council, even though I don't really want to see any of these people go. Because, but just because I'm so interested in seeing how these dynamics play out. 